0: You're listening to Holistic Living, brought to you by East West Healing and Performance. And now, here are your hosts, Josh and Jeannie Rubin.
1: Hey everyone, this is Josh Rubin from East West Healing and Performance. Welcome to our Blog Talk Radio Show today. Uh, today we're gonna to have Ray Pete on again. I'll do his little introduction in a little bit. Um, once we get them on here, and, and like always, we're probably going to have a little bit of uh, an issue getting them on, so just hold tight. Um, we do our radio show every month, once a month. Uh, if you want to learn more about us, check out our YouTube blog, Facebook page, go to our website at eastwesthealing.com. We've got a lot of great information on there. It's free, people love free information, and I can be honest with you, it's only going to be up there for a certain amount of time. So uh, check it out. Feel free to call us anytime for a free consultation. Seven six zero five nine seven nine seven two seven. So We always want to put that out there So once again we've got Ray P on our show Of course you know uh, we've been following him For some time We've been really lucky enough to get him on our show um, And you can learn more about Ray um, on his website It's raypete.com R-A-Y-P-E-A-T Dot com He's got tons of great articles That would probably keep you occupied for the next hundred years Um as well as a lot of great books um, that you can order. You can send in a check, and he'll uh, ship those to you. His books are just fabulous, to be honest with you. And he's got a newsletter that you can sign up for um, that comes out every quarter, as well as he's an artist. So the the guy's got a lot going on. He's got a Ph.D. in biology from the University of Oregon, and he specializes in physiology, and you can pretty much get that from reading his articles. So if you want to start reading this stuff, my recommendation, that's all it is, is read an article, reread it but move on because you can start to connect the dots in all his articles. Sorry about this, guys. Once again, we're having a little bit of an issue getting him on here. What's the problem? His phone number. Uh, hold on a second, guys. I'm sorry about this once again. We're uh, running into technical difficulties. Um He has taught at many schools, including University of Oregon, Urbana College, Montana State. You can look at his website. He's taught at other schools that, unfortunately, I can't pronounce uh, that are in Mexico and things like that. He started most of his work studying progesterone and hormones back in 1968. He's got a lot of different papers and dissertations on that uh, that he published in 1972. Um, Since then, he's been working on practical and theoretical aspects on his view with hormones and the thyroid and things like that. You know, and the bottom line is, the guy is just a genius. He's got a lot of stuff out there. Um, He's got a lot of stuff that, unfortunately, I would say most people will poo-poo and say that it's a bunch of uh, baloney. But I can tell you that from reading his stuff, doing this for the past 12 years, um, that, honestly, his stuff is cutting edge. He's probably 80 years ahead of his time, um, if not more. Um, So if you really want to be progressive and you're a practitioner, read his stuff. Um, you can work with people like myself and other people that have uh, studied his stuff for years. Um, or you can call him and email them. maybe do consult with him. I don't know um, how he works that, but you can definitely uh, ask him some questions today on the radio show. So enough of me rambling, because that's pretty much what I'm doing. Let's get them on the show, and let's get the show started. We're going to be talking about the thyroid today. Probably will not take callers, because if you listen to the show, you can probably come to the conclusion that when I take a caller and the caller's not there, it kind of aggravates me. I find it super efficient, and unfortunately, I find it a little disrespectful for us. So I'm not going to take callers. If there is time permitting at the end, I will. But unfortunately, if um, you're calling from the 58, I will not take your call. So enough about that. So let's get them on the show. Hey, Ray and Jeannie, are you there? Oh, they're not there. Hold on a second. Yeah, we are. Hey, Josh. Oh. Hey Gene. hey Ray,
0: Nope. Yeah, I'm I'm nope. here.
1: Oh, there he is. How's it going, Ray? Good. Good. So I just did your gigantic introduction once again so people got to know who you are and where you've been for, you know, we have come from and what you have to offer. because uh, we feel you have a lot to offer and that's why we wanna do we want to do the show to uh you know, get your stuff out there. So once again, we really appreciate you taking time out to um, come on our show and, and really educate people on uh, your science, because um, that's what it really is on how the body works. So today we're going to be talking about the thyroid. And I know uh, we could talk for probably days on that, but we want to kind of simplify it for the public. Um, so me and Jeannie get a list of, uh, you know, outlined probably 12 questions slash topics that we want to go into and then some questions from from our audience. Um, So I guess, do you want to add anything before we start, um, before we get going on the show? Uh, No. Okay, we're ready to rock. (laughs) You know, in a lot of your articles and your science, you get a lot on the thyroid. Um, So maybe you could enlighten us on why... um, why you study the thyroid so much, and why you feel the thyroid hormone is is so important or the most important hormone in the body
0: okay um if looking at life in general uh plants and uh fung- funguses and uh, uh amoebas are the organisms that apparently don't need or don't want uh thyroid but as soon as you get uh what we think of as as real animal life, um, that includes corals, uh, cylinderates, echinoderms, uh, mollusks, uh, uh, crustaceans, insects, uh, uh, just about everything that that is has an organization to it uh uses thyroid. And the basic function of thyroid is to energize cells and to give them enough energy and efficiency to allow them to uh, differentiate so that they don't just concentrate on eating and growing the way uh, plants and uh, amoebas and fungi and such do. Um so if you look at um some of the old experiments would um in a an aquarium with uh, developing frog eggs uh, as soon as the eggs would hatch into tadpoles they would either add an anti thyroid chemical or a, a little bit of uh, thyroid hormone to the water and if you added Uh, The antithyroid chemical, the tadpole, would never turn into a frog. It would just get it to be a huge tadpole. But if you added uh, thyroid to the the aquarium, uh, the tiny hatchling uh, tadpole would turn into a tiny uh, uh, spider-like frog just about the size of a fly showing the thyroid uh, which energizes the cells so that they use oxygen and produce a huge amount of energy. This energy uh, allows the cells to realize their function but when it comes on too early uh, they neglect to grow. So um, without thyroid all you have is growth and uh, that's fine for amoebas and uh, mushrooms and and trees and so on, but um, uh, in humans, it, it can lead to things like tumors and malformations and so on. Uh, so the, the energy production is um, uh, really the basis of all organized life, and uh, uh, that makes the the thyroid in a sense the uh, uh the main gland uh, w- really the um if you take out the pituitary gland which people have talked about as the master gland uh if many different animals if you remove that and give them thyroid hormone in some cases the animals live 10 times as long as normal uh, usually about twice as long as normal Uh, for the lack of the pituitary gland uh, as long as they had uh, adequate thyroid.
1: So you're saying what most people say is that thyroid's your master regulator of metabolism. It's the thing that's going to keep your body in an an efficient state um, uh, or an anti-inflammatory state uh, where you're producing energy um, more efficiently than you're expending energy.
0: Right. Um, The uh, inflammatory state uh, means that uh, something has gone wrong. Uh, uh, It's interesting that doctors very often go entirely on the basis of the uh, amount of pituitary thyroid-stimulating hormone in diagnosing your thyroid status, but the thyroid-stimulating hormone... It creates uh, all sorts of inflammatory processes and when you have enough uh, actual thyroid hormone to completely shut down your pituitary you turn off practically all of these uh, toxic inflammatory processes
1: right yeah it's interesting because at least from our standpoint um there's so many people that are, are coming to see us in, in our clinic, and I would say even from teaching all over that we're seeing all these people that are being do- diagnosed with hypothyroid. What's your what's your take on all these labs that people are doing? Like, you know, A, what's the validity of these, and, and what do you recommend when it comes to measuring thyroid function in itself?
0: Um, In the 1930s, uh, it was standard medical practice to have a little – Apparatus to uh, allow the person to to lie down, uh, usually with an empty stomach, and to uh, breathe oxygen for two minutes, and they would measure how much oxygen was used. And people who had uh, the standard symptoms of low thyroid function would uh, often they would consume only half the normal amount of oxygen in the uh, allotted time. And uh, that usually went with uh, their hands and feet being cold and their core body temperature being below normal and their heart rate being uh, somewhat slower than normal. And uh, as they looked at the the more biochemical uh, indicators, they saw that cholesterol was almost invariably high in proportion to the reduced consumption of oxygen and lower body temperature. So the uh, increasing cholesterol was like a mirror image of the decreasing metabolic rate and thyroid function. And if you would give a thyroid supplement to someone with excess cholesterol, it would immediately come down uh exactly in in relation to the increasing oxygen use. Um carotene excess was another uh identifying feature. Uh the doctor would look at a person's uh palm of the hand at looking at the calluses. A hypothyroid person typically would have um cold and pale hands, but um usually with orange uh, areas where the skin was thickened in the calluses. Uh That's because vitamin A is used uh, directly in proportion to your metabolic rate, protein turnover, and thyroid function. And if your thyroid is low, uh, you barely use uh, your carotene, hardly convert it to vitamin A. And so the carotene typically would accumulate enough to uh, show up as orange uh, areas where the skin was thick. And in the uh, ovary, it was found that the the normal corpus luteum, or yellow body, where progesterone is made, in these women who were hypothyroid, the corpus luteum would be dark red because of accumulated beta-carotene. And that carotene would block the production of progesterone, causing amenorrhea in the typical hypothyroid woman. Um, another uh, uh, another good indicator that was developed in the 1930s was the Achilles reflex relaxation speed. Uh, a person kneels on a chair, so they're their toes hang over loosely and you thump the Achilles tendon so that the calf muscle twitches. And uh, sometimes a low thyroid person won't have really any reflex that you can see, but if they do have a reflex so their toe twitches out, the hypothyroid person's muscle relaxes so slowly that their uh, foot returns uh, like a, a door with a pneumatic closer on it, a uh, little uh, jerky relaxation. And uh, uh, the electrocardiogram shows the same thing. The T-wave the is called the repolarization wave, and it's exactly the same thing as in the um, relaxation of your calf muscle. In a hypothyroid person, the T-wave is delayed and low, usually flattened out. And the same thing happens in all of your body processes. Uh, when your brain is tired, the nerves are slow to relax, and so your your sleep will uh, not be uh, as re- relaxing and restorative as it would be in a high thyroid state.
1: So, just touching upon that, just for a lot of the people that are listening, the and maybe want to clarify this a little bit deeper. The the slow relaxation of the calf muscle can give you an indication of hypothyroid. Is it because of um, low blood sugar? Is it because of increased serotonin or calcium or low? Like, what if you could explain a little bit? um, I guess more Um, surfacey, so people can understand that.
0: All of those things contribute uh, the thyroid. Uh, allows you to uh, take up oxygen efficiently and oxidize it completely. And uh, in proportion to the the lack of thyroid, uh, when you stimulate a muscle cell or a nerve cell, uh, it will uh, use its oxygen inefficiently. Uh, It will allow calcium to enter the cell and keep it in right. an excited state and uh, it will tend to produce lactic acid rather than carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide produced under the influence of the thyroid is needed to carry the exciting calcium out of the cells and allow the cell to relax okay. so so the um, all of those things you mentioned uh, are involved in the the delayed relaxation.
1: So just to reiterate to people or just, I guess, to summarize so I understand it too. So you mentioned, you know, it's almost like everyone says you have thyroid problems. look at the, the, the thyroid. So you're really saying that high cholesterol is a huge indicator of low thyroid and that we can actually look at the contraction or the lack of thereof relaxation of the calf muscle as another indicator of um, we could say, I don't want to say thyroid problem, but maybe slower metabolism or uh, maybe a thyroid issue in a sense. Um, Is there any other things you recommend? I know you talk a lot about um, pulse and temperature and things like that, um, and I'm sure that's a huge topic, but maybe we can um, chat a little bit about, you know, um, why you look at body temperature and why you look at pulse in, you know, everyone else is focusing on TSH and free T4 and free you know, free T3 and TPO and all this stuff. And I don't know if you do or don't, but maybe you want to touch on maybe if you don't and why.
0: Okay. Um. Uh, well, the idea of free and uh, bound hormones, it, it's purely a, a laboratory construction. And in the case of thyroid, it usually has some uh, relation to to symptoms but it's it's a little bit analogous to to reading tea leaves because the um actually when thyroid hormone is uh, stuck to the albumin protein which is the main protein in the blood uh it has no trouble at all getting into cells uh taking the thyroid into the mitochondria and the nucleus and so on uh so the um uh, the free thyroid uh, test does correspond for a variety of indirect reasons to uh, the real available activity of the thyroid, but it, it's really just a laboratory construction that uh, should be minimized
1: So even touching upon TSH, you know, what are your thoughts on TSH even in regards, because I know a lot of the different values out there are are very different, you know, and they're always changing a little. If you could touch upon, you know, if you even would recommend focusing on TSH that much, and if you do, what would you say some of the value should be? Uh,
0: Yeah, I I don't recommend it as a way to diagnose uh, uh, hypothyroidism, but I do recommend... uh, If you're looking at at a blood test, uh, I would recommend having as close to zero TSH as you can get because all of the known effects of of TSH are uh, really um, harmful in some way. The the main reason doctors are giving currently for not wanting to suppress TSH is they think because TSH – reduces the turnover indicators of bone, that uh, well, this idea developed as a a way to sell estrogen. Estrogen was never shown to um, increase bone uh, growth in humans, uh, but it did uh, stop the osteoclast function, so it reduced bone turnover. And so they said this is evidence that estrogen is preventing osteoporosis because it stops the breakdown of bone. And since um, TSH also uh, stops the osteoclast and the turnover of bone, doctors said if we suppress it, that will cause osteoporosis. But in fact, it's uh, the, the indicators that were used uh, to argue that estrogen was protecting the bones Uh, they named a protein osteoprotegerin, meaning bone-protecting protein. And for several years, they were uh, using that as a way to sell estrogen and uh, uh, other drugs that would increase it. Uh, But pretty soon it turned out that osteoprotegerin is closely associated with bone loss, osteoporosis, osteopenia, and calcification of the soft tissues. And uh, it it turns out that thyrotropin, TSH, like estrogen, increases osteoprotendrin, increases the movement of calcium into your arteries and heart and out of the bones. Um, So the the main argument doctors have for keeping your TSH uh, up, to um not below 1 is often what they say uh but uh, their very evidence is the opposite of what they think it is
1: so it's interesting cuz a lot of doctors focus so much on tsh and you're saying don't focus on tsh in uh, uh, the diagnosis
0: yeah, that that was developed um by the Actual biological indicators that were developed in the 1930s uh, about forty percent of the American population showed low metabolic rate associated with symptoms which were cured by giving thyroid enough to bring their metabolic rate up. but in the late 1940s uh, the drug companies synthesized uh, thyroxin and they tested it on 25 year old male medical students and in these healthy young men it they said it worked just like armor thyroid it worked just like the thyroid hormone uh, and on the basis of that uh, almost non existent evidence that it was uh, equivalent to to the thyroid for- hormone function Uh, They began selling it, and uh, they were developing tests to diagnose who needed it. And uh, they didn't have uh, tests to uh, measure very small amounts of of the actual hormone, so they measured protein-bound iodine. And it seemed that 95% of the population had enough protein-bound iodine. And that idea that came to be accepted as the normal. In the 1960s and 70s, the immunoassays were developed that could actually measure the amount of thyroxin in the blood, and it turned out that protein-bound iodine didn't have anything to do with thyroid function. But doctors had learned that the 95% of the population were not hypothyroid, so uh, uh, when they learned to measure thyroid-stimulating hormone, they applied the measurements to this meaningless doctrine that only 5% of the population were hypothyroid. So it's a good test, but the context and history uh, have made it uh, irrelevant to actual diagnosis. Now
1: what about, um, and I I think from reading your stuff, my my gist, and I could be wrong and you could have just said it, I'm just hearing it differently. You know, there's just too many factors like adrenaline, cortisol, prolactin, estrogen, all these things that can actually, um, that are down-regulating the thyroid, that are showing you, quote-unquote, your hypothyroid. It's not really the thyroid that's the problem. It's all these other things based on the stress response or toxins or blood sugar that are creating the lab result. Is that
0: correct? Um, Yeah. Uh, About 10 years ago, I started hearing people uh, telling me that their doctors had diagnosed them as being both hyperthyroid and hypothyroid at the very same moment. Uh, More and more people were were getting this diagnosis, uh, which really shows that uh, a crisis of confusion had taken over the profession around 10 years ago. Uh, that people on the basis of their blood tests could be both hyper and hypo at the same time. And this um, misleading uh, indicator diagnosis uh, led them to uh, diagnose many people who were suffering hypothyroidism as hyperthyroid uh, without measuring their oxygen consumption their body temperature, or looking at most of their symptoms or how many calories they were burning in a day. Uh, Looking at these other indicators, people who were clearly hypothyroid and who would lose their symptoms if they took a thyroid supplement, they were being diagnosed as hyperthyroid, having either their thyroid gland removed or uh, being given radioactive iodine to destroy it. Uh, on the the basis of a complete misunderstanding of even what constitutes hyperthyroidism.
1: Right. So, I guess based on your approach, the other test, like I kind of mentioned, is really looking at body temperature. So maybe if you could check, because I think for a lot of people, this is probably the, I find it's, it's, you don't have to pay a lot of money for it. It's an easy test for the practitioner to get a baseline of your client. But it's great for the client or just the average Joe that's listening to really start to become aware of what's going on. So maybe um, tell us, like, what does a low body temperature mean or a low pulse or a high pulse? Uh, and, and why do you use these as, um, in, you know, indicators of a baseline of our metabolism?
0: Uh, Broda Barnes, when he was working as a physician in, in the 30s, he, he was a Ph.D. researcher uh, who identified... Uh, much of the physiology of of hypothyroidism, but then he became a medical doctor and he practiced most of his life in uh, Colorado where uh, the weather is very cool even in the the summer. And uh, for his patients, uh, the temperature was uh, a very adequate uh, way of diagnosing. And and he describes the uh, Temperature, uh, waking temperature, he thought should be uh, maybe around 97.8, uh, and then after breakfast it should rise to uh, during the day somewhere around 98.6. And uh, uh, in uh, Eugene, in hot summer weather, I saw the uh, the same people who uh, in the in the winter would have very low Oral temperature. Uh, I saw that in the hot, humid summer weather, these hypothyroid people were maintaining a normal core temperature, and sometimes their their hands would be cold even in hot weather. But I saw that uh, the uh, a, a low metabolizing person, given uh, some environmental support, can manage to keep their temperature pretty close to normal. And so I I saw that their pulse rate, even uh, when their temperature might be 98.5 during the daytime, often they would have a a pulse rate of 45 or or 55 or 65, somewhere uh, below optimal. And uh, that started me thinking about the the factors that uh, regulate body temperature And uh, I saw uh, some people who had extreme hypothyroidism who would uh, oscillate between extreme depression and extreme mania. And when they were going into depression, their temperature would be consistently low. But once they switched over to the the manic phase, uh, they would wake up with a pulse rate of maybe 75 or 80, and a temperature right where Broda Barnes wanted it. And uh, so besides just the the average pulse rate and temperature, uh, I saw that after those people would eat a big breakfast, uh, their temperature would fall. Uh, By 11 o'clock, they would show up a hypothyroid temperature. And during the night everyone tends to have more of the stress hormones uh alternating surges of adrenaline and cortisol for example and the, the um people who went past the exhaustion phase of hypothyroidism and reached the the manic phase kept extremely high levels of both cortisol and adrenaline and uh, usually other uh Transmitters like serotonin, and uh, uh since food reduces stress somewhat, getting your blood sugar up, and daylight also reduces stress uh if you see their temperature and pulse rate fall after a good meal uh that is another thing that reveals uh behind those indicators that can reveal a low metabolic rate that was just being held up by emergency uh, stimulation from adrenaline and cortisol.
1: So just to summarize once again for everyone, I'm assuming you're saying is if we don't eat the right foods, if we're not eating foods that provides our body with the right amount of, like, protein, sugar, carbs, and fat, um... Or, for any reason, if our body goes into that sympathetic stress state, uh, we need to provide our body with more oxygen and glucose. So, if we don't get that from our foods or we're not down-regulating inflammation, you'll see these specific hormones inhibit how the thyroid works. You're going to get a lower body temperature. So, even though you think you're eating healthy foods, if your body temperature does go down, it could be the ratios, but it could actually be the quality of the foods inhibiting how your metabolism should work. Same thing with the, with the pulse. Um, and then you're saying I want to clarify because a lot of people think the opposite that if someone has a low pulse our society believes that that actually means they're healthy and I always use the example of like Lance Armstrong everyone says well his resting heart rate is whatever it is like 40 and everyone thinks that's super healthy but you're saying that people with a low resting heart rate that means they're actually down regulating their own metabolism because of the foods that they're eating or the wrong foods they're eating
0: Um, Yeah, and it tends to go with fertility problems, hormonal problems, uh, low testosterone, increased estrogen, uh, a lot of degenerative problems.
1: Right. So that's great. I mean, I I think that's important for people to to understand because it's such an easy tool, you know, to do at home and during the day to see what's going on. Let's talk about the, the... the hormones a little bit, um, so people get an idea of, okay, we know where the thyroid is. Let's talk about some of these hormones, um, like T3 and T4. Um, and where, where most of this, where does most of this conversion, uh, happen in the body? Cause everyone thinks it's the thyroid and maybe you can kind of enlighten us maybe
0: where most of this is happening. Um, Broda Barnes was, uh, one of the first people to, um, Notice the importance of the liver in thyroid function um, uh, the uh, biskins in nineteen forty two to forty five were were showing how the liver uh, regulates hormones, but they were concentrating on estrogen if the liver was uh, lacking thyroid or protein or some vitamins uh, the biscons showed that uh, your estrogen would Uh, skyrocket uh, in proportion to the uh, reduced function of the liver and uh, there's this um, antagonism focused on the liver between estrogen and thyroid and and the thyroid works partly by increasing protein synthesis but partly by simply energizing the liver so that it is able to uh, detoxify uh, everything that shouldn't be in the body it the liver should uh, remove a hundred percent of the estrogen uh, that reaches it in circulation so the body should be able to uh, produce uh, estrogen in the in the ovary for example uh, send it to um, do its work in the, the uterus and breast and so on but then it should immediately be destroyed by the liver And if your thyroid is low, the liver uh, loses the ability to detoxify estrogen and practically everything else harmful. And uh, the uh, the liver happens to also be the source, as Britta Barnes uh, discovered, uh, of the most active thyroid. Um, He he said it's about uh, two-thirds of the... Uh, Thyroid used by the body is produced in the liver. And um, if your liver isn't getting enough sugar, enough glucose, or if it doesn't have enough selenium, it is unable to convert thyroxin into T3. Um, If you can completely knock out the liver and your thyroid will uh, excrete uh, about this ratio of three parts of thyroxine to one part of T3. And so as long as your thyroid is working, uh, your liver will be getting a little bit of T3 and will be able to keep functioning, uh, other things being equal. But uh, when um, if you're under stress, for example, uh, don't have anything to eat for about 24 hours, or... Are, um, exerting too much energy in proportion to what you're eating. Your liver isn't getting enough glucose to convert the three parts of thyroxin produced in your gland into the active T3. And uh, so you will have this uh, drastic decrease in uh, production of the active triiodothyronine T3 uh most of which comes from the liver uh when it's well well fed with uh sugar the, the um so, go ahead i'm sorry uh, uh, if the doctor prescribes only T4 uh, it'll it'll work fine in anyone who doesn't need it such as 25 year old healthy men but women because of their uh, higher estrogen level have many times the incidence of thyroid problems uh, and liver problems that men do. And it's because uh, of the um, centrality of the liver to the activation of thyroid hormone and uh, the liver's uh, essentiality for eliminating estrogen, that uh, a little problem with either thyroid or estrogen means that your liver will allow estrogen to increase in the body as it uh, decreases its production of active thyroid hormone, and that in turn slows the liver even more, so it it has a vicious circle.
1: Did everyone get all that? (laughs) Good stuff. So (laughs) what you're saying is we need selenium to make to Convert T4 to T3 is. So I'm just kind of summarizing it for myself and for the listeners, so I can kind of follow along here. And selenium, we, I think we need to ask the question, which we'll get to, is where do we get that from? Besides, you know, um, you know, what foods? We need glucose to make the conversion, and we should talk about that because I think that's huge in our society. When it comes to foods, we should say the right vegetables and things like that. Most people are staying away from the right types of sugars, which could be creating this, and that's probably going to be a whole show in itself. Um, but at the same time, from maybe exogenous sources or the body's inability to detox it, blood sugar issues, uh, excess stress, but the estrogen itself will block the T4, T3 conversion as well. Um, but also, um, I don't want to use the word clog up, but back up the liver, um, and it'll just keep, keep backing up the liver, which can create and the hypothyroid-like right, right.
0: symptoms. And and once that happens, uh, the estrogen can reach um, the point at which it starts inhibiting the thyroid gland itself. Uh, the thyroid gland to produce the, um, the proper ratio of uh, three parts T4 to one part of T3, right. um, it does that... Uh, by uh, breaking down the thyroglobulin, uh, a colloidal kind of a glob of protein inside the, the follicles of the gland, this has to be digested as needed, uh, breaking each protein molecule down and releasing uh, these free uh, thyroxin and T3 uh, hormones. And estrogen inhibits the proteolytic, Enzyme that releases the hormone. So, uh, first it slows down liver function, but then it reaches a point where it will even uh, block the thyroid itself. And this is where women um, tend to have a high frequency of goiter, thyroid enlargement. Uh, uh, They call it Hashimoto's thyroiditis, but most often it's what they used to call colloid goiter, where uh, since estrogen stimulates the um, the stress hormones in the brain, increasing thyroid stimulating hormone, uh, estrogen causes the um, the pituitary to drive the thyroid harder. Meanwhile, it's blocking the ability of the thyroid gland to secrete it, so it tends to enlarge the thyroid, and uh, then they get diagnosed as having uh, thyroiditis. Right. Okay. Um, the progesterone to- keep going, sorry uh, 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 progesterone happens happens to activate these uh, uh, proteins that allow the the thyroid to secrete so i advise women who have an enlarged thyroid not to take progesterone uh until they've uh, taken care of the enlargement of the thyroid uh, because the progesterone will uh, normalize the protein so fast that sometimes they'll uh, go into a, a slightly hyperthyroid state for a few weeks. And, now, uh, correct
1: me if I'm wrong, you actually talk about in your book, like, because everyone talks about hypothyroidism, we're kind of skipping a beat here, but you, you talk about hyperthyroidism, and I know you're against unsaturated fats and things like that, but when people are hyperthyroid, it's probably the only time, and correct me if I'm wrong, you recommend people, you know, having small amounts of, like, a cauliflower juice or cabbage juice to actually use the estrogen um, and the excess cortisol to downregulate uh, the thyroid. Is that true?
0: Well, yeah, except that's mostly for the person's relationship with their doctor. Uh, okay. Several people have told me that uh, before they had their thyroid destroyed by surgery or radiation, uh, they said that they had a chronic pulse rate of 125 per minute but they never felt so good in their life after having the thyroid gland treated they were back to feeling uh, their normal bad self but uh, people usually feel great when they're in the so-called hyperthyroid state and uh, it, it, the reason I tell people how to how to use cabbage juice and such to uh, slow their pulse is that their doctors become a a danger to them uh, tending to um, bully them into having their thyroid gland uh, suppressed.
1: Right. So we talk about TSH, T3, T4. um, I know a lot of people out there come in with lab values where they have a high T4 reading. Um, What is what does that mean and, and what are some of the symptoms um and what are most doctors recommending
0: um, it, what do you recommend it very often goes with hypothyroidism uh because yeah. if 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 your liver can't uh can't activate it uh, if, if 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 you aren't producing so much estrogen that your gland gets shut off completely uh your gland will go on producing uh, hormone, and you'll uh, get along in your daily life with a little bit of T3 coming out of your thyroid gland, but that gradually allows the T4 to accumulate because your liver isn't using it up. And uh, uh, that tends to slow down even the production of T3 uh, if you um, get a very high T4 level. Uh, and uh, I what originally got me interested in in this interaction of T4 and T3 was a patient at the medical school in Portland who um, was a slightly hypothyroid woman who was prescribed T4 uh, for a few months on one grain of equivalent of T4, 100 micrograms. Uh, she got even more hypothyroid symptoms and her doctor increased it to 200 micrograms, and a few months later, she was even worse. So he, I, I, I think he reached uh, four or 500 micrograms of T4, at which point she went into a myxedema coma and was taken to the hospital unconscious. And uh, they injected T3, pure T3, and she came right out of the coma. But... Uh, <laughs> her symptoms got worse directly in proportion to uh, the increased dose of T4. And after seeing that extreme example, I have run across probably a 100 women with uh, less extreme uh, effects, but uh, it, it isn't rare at all for a woman to uh, get uh, worse symptoms uh, uh, noises in their head or or electrical sensation in their body or uh, swollen muscles or uh, any of the uh, thousand symptoms of hypothyroidism as a result of taking too much key 4
1: Great stuff here. So let's talk about going back towards hypothyroidism and talking about... Um, how, you know, we know, or I should say, I know, and maybe people don't, but, you know, things like blood sugar dysregulation, adrenaline, cortisol, pituitary, all these things can create hypothyroidism, but at the same time, how does hypothyroidism affect these things, such as blood sugar, adrenaline, cortisol, your pituitary, parathyroid, um, digestion, liver? I mean, how does it really um, affect our physiology?
0: Um, When when you aren't able to oxidize your sugar Uh, all the way to carbon dioxide, you produce uh, lactic acid very easily. Even at rest, a person will keep producing uh, lactic acid as if they were under uh, strenuous exercise. And the lactic acid turns on uh, a lot of inflammatory mediators, uh, which have uh, systemic effects, uh, on your bone and and skin hair growth, everything uh lactic acid itself acts as a toxin and and gradually if if you're uh experiencing that year after year, it leads to uh, a tendency to fibrosis and arthritis and so called connective tissue diseases in general uh, uh-huh. from an imbalance of the inflammatory mediators. Histamine and serotonin, especially, and a, a tendency of the soft tissues to calcify, so it it contributes to hardening of the arteries and heart failure.
1: So, I don't want to say that it's kind of like an end all deal, but you know, from meeting yourself and then you know, chatting with you, it's almost like if we can get people to regulate their you know, blood sugar, eat the right foods, or, you know, regulate their thyroid, it's almost like you can affect so many systems in the body, which can actually help with joint pain, digestive problems, lack of energy, uh, menstrual problems, uh, edema. I mean, the list just keeps going on and on and on. Is, is that true? I mean, it's almost like we're, you know, we're focusing on one system, but, it, you know, it's like killing two birds with one stone type of thing. We're focusing on this one system, but we're getting so many other benefits. Um, you
0: know, if- Because um, uh, the um, energy production uh, in the proper way is really what shapes everything. The body is constantly renewing itself uh, moment by moment. Like overnight, people have have measured um, that there's a 60% turnover of brain substance in one night uh, just because the brain has a high metabolic rate. And as... If you aren't renewing yourself uh, at a high rate, uh, you're allowing uh, errors to accumulate. And uh, one of the reasons thyroid and other problems get worse over time is that our diets, on average, uh, contain a significant amount of thyroid-inhibiting substances, especially the polyunsaturated fatty acids, um, and the French uh, did a series of, of studies that really define uh, how that works. Uh, they, Long ago, people knew that um, polyunsaturated fats uh, blocked proteolytic enzymes, and in this French series of studies, they saw that uh, the first effect of too much polyunsaturated fat is to block the ability of the thyroid gland to secrete the hormone by breaking down the thyroid uh, globulin. And then if the thyroid manages to secrete it, the transport of it on proteins in the blood is inhibited in proportion to the unsaturation. So the um, fish oil, uh, many 5 and 6 unsaturated bonds, are the most powerful, almost total inhibitors of, of thyroid transport. But uh, linolenic acid with three double bonds uh, inhibits about 50%, and linoleic acid with two double bonds inhibits it uh, about 30%. Uh, so it's proportional to the number of double bonds. Uh, the transport, and the, the same thing happens. Uh, inside the cell, the responsiveness of the cell to thyroid is inhibited in proportion to the amount of unsaturated fats. And carotene, even though it's not a fatty acid, uh, is highly unsaturated and it has that same effect uh, interfering with thyroid function just because of this uh, series of unsaturations. Uh, the um, accumulated uh, unsaturated fats in the body uh, turn on other antithyroid processes, so it isn't all uh, immediate and direct, uh, but uh, they make you more susceptible to turning on prostaglandins, which promote inflammation and uh, increase the tendency to uh, produce lactic acid, and the Interfere apart from the thyroid, they interfere with the mitochondrial uh, oxidative energy production. Uh, so, the after after you're 30 or 40 or so, almost everyone has accumulated enough of the PUFA to uh, cause a whole range of metabolic problems.
1: Right. So, while we're kind of on the topic of, I don't want to go too much into poofers, but um, let's go and in, in chat about just estrogen levels and how we talked about how they block hypothyroidism, but you know how hypothyroidism can raise those, and I think you know it's a huge concern because you know most, well, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of women are being um, prescribed these medications. Number one, most people are having issues with detoxifying their body of these estrogens. Uh, number two, and, um, you know, having this unopposed estrogen in the body uh, can lead to specific, you know, dysfunctions or diseases like clotting and edema and fibrosis and cysts and all these things. Um,
0: uh, yeah, do you a, in... Go uh, ahead. There are very close interactions between the increased estrogen and, and you mentioned clotting. Estrogen increases serotonin dominance. Yeah and uh, uh serotonin and estrogen both promote and are promoted by the polyunsaturated fats and the low thyroid condition so it forms a, a sort of a polar cluster with with the energizing uh thyroid and uh the good nutrients uh sugar minerals protein and so on uh maintaining and, and energizing the structure. The um, e- emergency stress things, the uh, prostaglandin, serotonin, histamine, cortisol, and estrogen are all on the short-term uh, defensive side, but uh, they, when they become dominant, uh, they uh, deform the, uh, the proper regulatory systems. Uh, All right uh, you don't? Sorry. Uh, the the um there's a special problem with um, the basis for diagnosing estrogen deficiency because um the um in the absence of anti anti substances such as progesterone uh the um estrogen in the blood can go to a very low level because the estrogen is staying inside cells. Um, Progesterone uh, knocks it out of cells, inactivates it, but causes it to appear in the bloodstream on its way out the kidneys. Uh, So in the absence of progesterone, doctors will measure a low level of serum estrogen and prescribe it, even though they're under that situation. It's very likely that their tissues uh, breast and uterus, in particular, are actually overloaded with a, a chronic supply of estrogen.
1: I wish I could summarize that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at a loss on that one, so I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. Uh, you know, I highly recommend everyone re-listening to these shows over and over again because it's just, you know, it, it's an hour plus of information that you could literally sit down and probably take 50 pages of notes on. Um, I want to talk about CO2, carbon dioxide, in the thyroid because I know you're a fan, I should say fan of CO2, but for meeting your stuff, you talk about the thyroid and you talk about carbon dioxide. Um, how do thyroid hormones raise CO2 and what are the advantages of having uh, higher CO2 levels?
0: Um, it, that means that you're uh, oxidizing things completely. Uh, getting If you oxidize... Uh, Fats completely you get a r- get rid of any toxic effect from the free fatty acids, um, but you also uh stop producing lactic acid and uh, uh, stop that whole route of of inflammatory uh, harmful processes of free fatty acids and lactic acid uh, but the carbon dioxide itself um, uh, binds to um, all of our proteins for example hemoglobin uh, in a diabetic uh, they they look at the amount of sugar or fragments attached to proteins such as hemoglobin but uh, the um, it's actually the breakdown of fatty acids which contribute uh, about 95 percent of these uh, glycated proteins that it, accumulate in diabetes and aging. But when we're producing enough carbon dioxide, it not only uh, protects the cell by removing the excitatory uh, calcium, but it also binds to all of our proteins that have a lysine group or another uh, amine group exposed. And these amines are where uh, the uh, breakdown products, free radical. Uh, fatty acids and so called uh, glycation end products uh, right. it's where they bind, and so carbon dioxide uh binds protectively to proteins keeping them in the native youthful state, uh, which happens to be uh, the things called uh, hormone receptors uh are in a different state when they when there's adequate uh, carbon dioxide insulin is in a different state, growth hormone, all of our peptide hormones uh, can bind carbon dioxide uh, becoming a different substance, so all of our hormone system is deranged uh, if we just hyperventilate and blow out too much carbon dioxide, or if we're hypothyroid, basically we're in effect hyperventilating even at rest, producing lactic acid instead of carbon dioxide.
1: So what you're saying is the more, I should say, well, the more CO2 we're essentially producing, it allows our thyroid to work more efficiently, which is basically those levels are down-regulating um, lactic acid and serotonin and all these inflammatory markers. Is um, that's correct?
0: Yeah, the CO2 is, is in itself anti-inflammatory. A lot of hospitals right. are, are now uh, recognizing that they were killing patients by giving them Pure oxygen, or even hyperventilating them, and uh, they can prevent uh, most of the hospital induced uh, lung failure and, and a lot of, of uh, brain damage by giving them uh, carbon dioxide or just hypoventilating them so they accumulate their own carbon dioxide to a protective anti inflammatory degree. It's right.
1: awesome stuff, man. It's just- fascinating. Let's let's just skip it a little. What do you? I know this is you, you really can't give a hundred recommendations, but let's talk about people that don't even have a thyroid. Um, what what's like? What are your recommendations? Because I got some questions about people. You know, I don't even have a thyroid. What do I do? You know, just, obviously nutrition is key and all those things. But do you recommend them being on specific thyroid hormones?
0: Oh, um if, well? if you if you lived in a, a non-industrial culture. Uh, they would uh, not have to remove the thyroid when they sell a chicken or a fish, and uh, they would throw the the beef and pork thyroid glands into a sausage mixture, and so you would get dietary thyroid if you were eating the way people did even in America until 1940 when the FDA came in, agriculture department uh, banned the sale of thyroid in food, but um Looking at the natural diet, uh, everyone would be getting the equivalent of half a grain of uh, glandular thyroid extract, just as part of their ordinary animal food diet. Uh, Shrimps, oysters, crabs, uh, everything like that that uh, doesn't have uh, a vertebrate type of thyroid gland. Eating those, you get uh, some thyroid in your diet. Milk contains some thyroid uh, so uh, babies who otherwise would be uh, cretins, as long as they're breastfed, they don't need a thyroid gland. Uh, they get enough thyroid in their mother's milk. Uh, after Three Mile Island, a lot of babies were born without thyroid glands, but no one noticed the breastfed babies didn't have a thyroid until they were weaned, and then they became uh, hypothyroid drastically. So, uh, eating the right foods, avoiding the polyunsaturated fats, and uh, the um, uh, hard-to-digest types of starch in uh, a lot of uh, beans, for example, uh, have starches that we can't digest. Uh, Those um, irritate the intestine, create endotoxin uh, that interferes with thyroid function. So, uh, avoiding... The toxic foods and emphasizing sweet fruits, um, milk, cheese, eggs, shellfish, and uh, among the the meats, and beef and lamb. Uh, if you if you include the fibrous parts that that industrial societies tend to throw away, uh, like in Mexico, you you get the um, skin in various preparations uh, in they eat the tendons, uh, ears, snouts, tails, and everything that are very rich in uh, gelatin, which is a prothyroid protein because it doesn't contain the precursors to serotonin.
1: Besides, you know, certain meats they just mentioned in in the the more um, gelatinous type of of proteins and the dairy, the non-inflammatory proteins, Um, What are some other nutritional recommendations that you can maybe just enlighten us on in regards that are pro-thyroid or or pro-liver, even to help the liver to to detox? Uh, So it's not always a thyroid. If you get the liver to work properly, we'll get that benefit for the thyroid. What are some nutrition uh, therapies that you recommend?
0: Oh, um, Years ago, I I read that um, women had a drastic hormone change when they were taking antibiotics, and I realized that was probably because of the, the um, hormonal effect of intestinal toxins. And so I had some women measure their their blood, estrogen, progesterone, and cortisol, and then eat a carrot a day for a few days and remeasure it. Uh, the carrot has antibiotics and the uh, fiber can't be digested into toxins by bacteria because of these antibiotics. And after just a few days of a daily carrot, uh, their hormones were back in a very favorable state, reducing estrogen and cortisol, increasing progesterone and thyroid.
1: So you're saying that carrots, I mean, most people are going, this is kind of silly, but you're saying that a carrot, because of what is what the carrot is made up of, actually helps the GI system in the liver to absorb toxins and to actually detoxify them. So you're saying people yep. that maybe have thyroid use or liver detox issues that using carrots as, as a therapeutic tool benefit them.
0: Uh, yeah, a, a raw carrot, uh, not a cooked carrot, because the carotene okay. is, is an antithyroid factor, but the, you can even rinse off some of the carotene after you uh, grate it or shred it. But um, right. a lot of hypothyroid people control their symptoms for years just by having a daily raw carrot because of that right. cleansing effect on the intestine and the liver.
1: What other foods are going to enhance that T four to T three conversion? I mean I wanna I love which you know, we're hoping for it to do a whole show on, on sugar because it's a huge topic. But you talk about glucose, you talk about selenium, like what are some other foods that people should be eating to actually help um bring the thyroid to an efficient level but also help with that, that conversion, that T four, T three conversion?
0: Um the very Sweet, low-fiber foods, um, filtered orange juice, uh, well-strained orange juice from sweet oranges is uh, the safest that I know of. And there are several tropical fruits, probably a 100 tropical fruits, that are are very safe and helpful. Um, And uh, one very odd food, if you have a centrifugal juicer, uh, you can juice a raw potato and then cook the juice like you would scramble an egg and you get rid get rid of the starch but um you have a very uh safe high quality protein and mineral uh formulation wow. but in practice um g- good orange juice and a few other tropical fruits uh, are very good for your liver and thyroid balance
1: so why, why do you say really good strained orange juice? Because I know you've mentioned that before. Um, um,
0: any of the uh, indigestible fibers, uh, the commercial orange juices, uh, they've learned enzymically to uh, create new chemical substances that they sell as pulp. It's an, uh, a, a type of uh, fiber that can't be digested and can't be <laughs> removed from the juice uh, once they've chemically altered it so that you want to avoid the commercial pulpy so-called okay. orange juices. And if you make it yourself, just running it through a strainer is enough so that you don't feed the bacteria with these uh, ah. f- uh, fibers that we can't digest. I
1: and, see. I uh, see.
0: Of, of the proteins, of the common uh, convenient proteins, uh, cheese and eggs and shellfish uh, are are very high quality and associated with prothyroid other nutrients right. uh, calcium for example
1: uh, same with your saturated fats like I know you're a huge advocate of coconut oil um because it's prothyroid it helps the liver store glycogen and it helps the body detox from unsaturated fats but um someone actually had a question about coconut oil and it is prothyroid and I know you have a Um, uh, a science and a philosophy on what type of coconut oil you recommend and why. Maybe you can answer that for one of the listeners.
0: Oh, um, well, I've I've had many very delicious, uh, uh, crude, simple, homemade coconut oils that are great for ice cream and puddings and such, but uh, a lot of people are allergic to those aromatic, tasty things. And so just for safety... Uh, it's good to have it completely filtered uh, so that there's no free fatty acid uh, breakdown product and uh, none of the solid particulate coconut matter or even the aromatic stuff because just for, for safety to avoid allergies. Okay. But any any of the uh, purely saturated fats are anti-inflammatory. And, uh, right. So it's just that the coconut oil with the short chains, uh, it's very quickly metabolized, and and so for things like losing weight, uh, weightlifters have caught on to using the the, the fractionated coconut oil to get even the uh, shorter uh, average chain length uh, because it, it intensely increases the metabolic rate to have those those are shorter saturated fats, and they're anti-inflammatory, anti-histamine, and so on.
1: Right, right. Any other nutritional recommendations? You know, um, most of the listeners probably, you know, some practitioners, some lay people. Any other nutritional recommendations that you can toss in there in regards to proteins, fats, or, or carbs, uh um, pro-thyroid?
0: Yeah, people are probably going to continue eating some vegetables just because they like them, but I encourage them to cook them to death. (laughs) Cook them as much as, uh, like, 40 minutes of boiling makes them a lot safer. Uh, There were experiments uh, in the 1940s uh, with rats. Uh, They fed a selection of vegetables, uh, either canned vegetables or the same vegetables raw and the ones eating the canned vegetables thrived and were well-nourished. Even rats couldn't live on raw vegetables.
1: Right. Right. Awesome stuff, and I'm sure there's more um, in regards to the thyroid, but of course, I mean, we could spend hours talking about this, the the hormonal, you know, implications, the the liver, digestion, um, you know, uh, With foods to eat, but of course, we can't take up the next six days of your life um, as much as I'd love to. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything else you'd love to... I mean, we're taking some callers now that we have a little bit of time left. Uh, If you call from 858, I'm not going to answer the phone. Uh, But you're welcome to call in, um, anyone, 347-426-3546. If you've got a question, when you call in,
0: tell me the area
1: code you're calling from um, and ask Ray the question. But... um, is there anything else you want to add, Ray, in regards to thyroid that you think is important for the listeners to know?
0: Uh, nothing occurs to me.
1: Nothing comes to you? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm kind of out of all my questions. I had a slew of questions, and like I said, I don't want to take up um, tons of your time because we really appreciate you coming on and, and educating us on this. Um, so we just want to say thanks, me and Jeannie, all the listeners. for getting great emails and, and people just loving uh, the shows and your information So uh, we really appreciate it
0: Okay, thanks
1: So uh, I want to uh, wish you a happy day And uh, I guess we'll chat again
0: Okay, very good Bye <laughs>
1: Have a good one Bye, Bye. Alright guys, there you go it's About an hour and 15 minutes of D, uh Talking about the thyroid, nutritional therapies Just one thing I want to say is You know if you're a practitioner, really understand the why behind what you're doing before you start telling people to do this or that or take this or eat a carrot. Or, I think that's important because I think people can easily, especially now, well, all this information is all over the web and all over Facebook and YouTube. I think people are, you know, and once again, this is my story, people just jumping on board and starting to, you know, eat gelatin and eat salt. And I think we're going to run into the same problem um, as every other system out there. And it's it's going to give... The philosophy and the science of a bad name. So I really recommend you reading his articles, reading his books, listening to the shows, taking notes. I mean, I have to read his article ten times. I mean, they're they're just so deep and you can get so much information. Um, So I highly recommend it. And at the same time, don't just think you can eat a carrot and you're going to help your thyroid. You know, there's there's so much more to his philosophy um, than just eating a carrot or uh, eating gelatin. So really understand that. So if you're the layperson and you're listening to the show and you just start eating a carrot and you're like, well, this is going to help my thyroid, just realize as many pieces to the healing puzzle and as many facets to this program. Um, and we had them for an hour and 15 minutes. Um, so just realize there's a lot more to it than that. And if you got questions, give us a call. Like I said, um, give us a call uh, and, and set up a consult with us and we can kind of helpfully educate you um, and let you know how we work. We do have a caller. But unfortunately, he's gone. I'll maybe take the caller. Let's see what we've got going on here. Hello, 60, 630. You're on the air. But uh, Ray's gone, unfortunately. Did you have a question? Hello? No. That's why I don't take callers. Anyway, guys, I really appreciate everyone tuning in. Share the show. Um, I'll be emailing Ray to set up the April show. Not sure what we're going to be talking about next. But... Um, Really appreciate everyone's support. And um, if you're confused, guess what? That means you're actually learning. Peace.